2: Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half assed history. This week on the agenda, giving a chat about Nostradamus, someone who is very, very famous indeed. ...for his supposed powers to see into the future. Nostradamus is most well known, uh, of course, for a collection of around a thousand prophecies that he made. He collected them all into a great big book, which is cracked open whenever anything remotely notable takes place on the world stage. Um, And according to those who believe that he did have these supernatural powers and could pierce the veil of the future... Uh, Nostradamus predicted more or less every major historical event that took place since his time, according to these people. And we're going to talk about that, don't you worry. We'll get across his prophecies. Um, We'll get into the most famous of them. We'll talk about the events that they supposedly foretold, and we'll get into it. But we're also going to talk about this bloke more generally, his life and his times, what he did, where he went, that sort of thing, because he had an interesting life story. Uh, For much of his life, he worked uh, as an apothecary and, and a healer. He treated victims of the plague. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't until much later on in life that he got into the, into the prophecy business, a business that ended up treating him very well indeed. Uh, thank you very much. Um, but again, as you can imagine, a lot to get through today. Not just a biography of the bloke, but also how his work is analyzed and, and talked about today. Five centuries later, before we begin, thanks go to alert listeners, Liam Woolley and Craig for getting in touch and suggesting Nostradamus as a topic. Great fun to learn more about this fella. So, uh, cheers very much, to you too. But. With that said, let's get underway here. Let's get stuck into the story of Nostradamus and then go and have a chat about some of his more famous prophecies. Here we go. We're going all the way back here. We're going all the way back to December 1503 when on either the 14th or the 21st, not sure which, Michel de Nostradamus was born in the French town of Saint-Rémy-de-Provence in what was back then the Kingdom of France. He was one of nine kids had by a lawyer named Jean de Nostradam and his wife, Rainer. Um, His dad, Jean, had Jewish heritage, uh, although Jean had actually converted to Catholicism uh, before young Nostradamus was born. And uh, in doing so, took a a new and very Catholic last name, de Nostradam, Our Lady. Uh, Nostradamus uh, himself, he later Latinized his name, uh, the name, he Latinized the name that his dad had taken, and that's how we know him today, by his Latin name, Nostradamus, not as Michel de Nostradamus. Uh, but we'll come to that, we'll cover that in due course, don't you worry. Um, honestly, we don't know a huge amount about Nostradamus's childhood, to be honest. Um, kicking this story off without a huge number of details, while young, he may have been tutored by his grandma, we're not sure about that, but we do know that his form- his formal education began properly. ...when he attended the University of Avignon... ...just uh, north of his birthplace of Saint-Rémy-de-Provence. He attended university from the age of 14 onwards. So very early start there. And there at the university he studied grammar... ...and logic and rhetoric for one year. Because after a year at Avignon... ...the city received a visit from an old and very dear friend... ...of European cities during this period and in the years beforehand... The bubonic plague, which is still very much alive and kicking in Europe, almost two centuries after the Black Death wiped out a third of the population of the continent. And for more details on that particular pandemic, episode ninety, get across it. That episode shamelessly released right as COVID started to really hit its strap back uh, straps back in early twenty twenty. Ah, those were very much not the days. I think we can all agree. Anyway. The plague. It shut down uh, the University of Avignon. It shut down Avignon, more broadly, the entire city. And so young Nostradamus's formal schooling came to an abrupt end uh, at this point. But that didn't stop him from learning and ultimately picking up a trade of his own that stayed with him for much of the rest of his life. Uh, while spending years wandering and traveling around the countryside of France, Nostradamus became what's known as an apothecary. Today, we'd probably call this sort of person a chemist or a pharmacist uh but essentially what Nostradamus did he went around learning about the medical properties of various substances herbs and plants he learned about their remedial and, and medicinal properties and uh consequently administered aid to the the sick and the we- and the unwell all over the place wherever he went um and as you can imagine with the with the plague well and truly having caught on like uh um ca- caught on like like the, uh, like a, a um Geez, I, I I don't know. We we really need a, a good simile there to describe something catching on, catching on like um. No, okay, yeah, no, don't know. Sorry, no idea. Anyway, the point is, the plague was doing what it did best: it was killing people indiscriminately up and down Europe. And uh, old mate Nostradamus, he was doing what he could to help people and alleviate their suffering. And he spent years and years doing this, years and years and years, working and plying his craft as an apothecary and a, and a healer all through the fifteen twenties and beyond. But I want to talk about what happened to him in the 1520s, because at some point during this decade, he re-enrolled in university, this time at the University of Montpellier down southwest of Avignon near the Mediterranean coast. However, his second stint at university didn't go much better than his first um, for a couple of different reasons this time. He enrolled to undertake a doctorate of medicine, uh, which you'd think would be a good fit, right? It makes sense for someone who has spent years on the road learning the healing arts and treating the sick. However, two things happened while Nostradamus was at Montpellier that, uh, well, once again brought his formal education to an abrupt halt, just as it had done in uh, in, in Avignon. Um, but this time it wasn't because of the plague. Firstly, Nostradamus didn't seem to have a very high opinion of the doctors and the instructors that were teaching the course that he was doing, and he openly and constantly disagreed with them. And look, as much as we all love on this podcast a, a good old well-actually, um, no one really wants to deal with the well-actually guy in a university setting. Um, and you can imagine that the doctors teaching him didn't like him arguing with them. Uh, apparently, he also used to talk mad smack about these doctors behind their backs to the other students, uh, which eventually got back to the doctors themselves, presumably... Suck up, suck up, students. Probably looking for extra points on the final. Bloody dobbed him in, dibber, dobbers, snitching on him like this—a terrible thing to have happened to anyone. So, long story short, it didn't get on well with the people giving the course. Um And it—it uh, it also didn't help that Nostradamus had gotten into astrology um, in in a major way uh, around this time. And would o- would a- <laughs> he'd often also get into astrological arguments with the Catholic priests at the university. And I'm sure you'll agree if you know someone who is. Super into something like, uh, like astrology or, I don't know, crypto, which is just astrology for men with, uh, the added bonus of total financial ruin. You really do not want to get into these arguments. You want to avoid these arguments like the, um, you, uh, you want, hmm, you want to, avo- you want to avoid these arguments like, um, geez, I'm, I'm really not doing well on the simile front today, am I? Oof, my goodness. Anyway, this, um, this wasn't the only reason that Nostradamus' schooling came to an end, I should mention. There are a couple of different reasons, as I say. There's the him talking smack behind his teachers' backs. There's him arguing the finer points of astrology with these priests. But there is also, right, top of the fact that he was not very popular with the faculty, uh, not only the fact that he was essentially the, the, the cohorts, that guy, he also ended up being expelled for the wildest reason, Right. Sometime after starting this course in Montpellier, one of the university staff members uncovered the fact that Nostradamus had spent years working as an apothecary, travelling around and, as I say, administering aid to to the sick. This, believe it or not, in the eyes of the University of Montpellier, made him completely unfit to study medicine because doing this sort of thing was banned by university statutes. Not apothecarying specifically, but just anything that was broadly considered to be a manual trade, working with your hands, in 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 other words. So, imagine this. Imagine this today. Imagine you're a brickie or you're a chippy, and you decide you want to go back to university, stuff a few new, new bits and pieces into the old brain box, and they say, you know, they're all haughty as you turn up. You say, oh, no. <laughs> I don't think so. You have the the coarse hands of the working man. This isn't this isn't the place for you. University is for for soft-handed people who have never done an honest day's work in their lives. But that's the situation that Nostradamus faced. Ridiculous. He's got years and years of experience and practical knowledge of medicine and of healing. But he's turfed out of the university on his ass because he quite li- quite literally wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. And also, I suppose all the Talking smack about the doctors and arguing with priests probably didn't count. But still, you can't just expel that guy as much as you want to. Just because he's got dirt under his fingernails, classes deletes these University of Montpellier wankers. They expelled Nostradamus, and interestingly, they've still got the expulsion documents today on display in, in the faculty library. I don't know, maybe maybe it's a point of pride over there that they kick this guy out. I'm not, I'm not sure what the current University of Montpellier policy is when when it comes to those in the manual trades these days anyway nostradamus he's out in his clacker as i say and so he went back to the business of being an apothecary and i'm sorry to say the business was booming for him and the reason i'm sorry to say this is because you know you know whenever you leave the doctor's office right you are going for a checkup or whatever um it's kind of weird to walk out and offer them the usual goodbye of um of oh yeah you know, see you see you later or something like that because. Yeah, nothing personal against my doctor. She's terrific. Big, big fan of her work. But generally, I'm never really seeing her for a particularly positive reason. And so when I'm leaving, I'm hoping not to see her again anytime soon. And this is why I say that it was a shame that Nostradamus was doing very well for himself as a medical professional, because the reason for that was the fact that the plague was still ravaging France. So not really the sort of situation that anyone is hoping for but again as an apothecary it's uh it, it means that there's no shortage of uh of, of customers for uh for nostradamus to uh to deal with anyway as we move now to the 1530s nostradamus uh he is going around he's dealing with the outbreaks of the plague that were all too common across much of france much of europe but uh But but happily, I will say this, Nostradamus, who's now approaching his 30s, he seems to have been pretty good at helping people deal with the plague. How he never got it himself, I don't know. It's thought that some people are actually naturally immune to the plague, interestingly, and even more interestingly, far more today than back then. Uh, Particularly for anyone of European descent that is listening, you are very, very likely to have a specific genetic makeup that makes you far more resistant to the plague and there's a very simple but very morbid reason for this, right? And it is, again, simply, because your ancestors survived it. The plague ravaged Europe worse than anywhere else on Earth. And various genetic mutations that emerged hundreds and hundreds of years ago helped our ancestors make it through pandemics of the plague, like the Black Death and all the subsequent, subsequent outbreaks that came there. This is natural selection at work, baby. Modern Europeans, genetically speaking, they have a huge advantage when fighting off the plague because, well, because all the Europeans that couldn't fight off the plague just, you know, died. And we're the ones that are left, the ones that have directly benefited from those genetic mutations that emerged to give our forebears this resistance to the plague. So thanks very much for that. Hopefully there won't be a great need for us to put this, um, you know, Genetic defense that we've inherited to, to great use throughout our lifetimes. Hopefully it never really comes up, but hey, nice to have all the same. Anyway, Nostradamus, he's going around doing what he can to prevent people from dying from the plague. He's going from town to town, bring what relief he, uh, relief he could to the infected, urging authorities to clear dead bodies from the streets so as to d- d- discourage further infection of healthy people. While obviously, you know, we, we aren't quite at the, germ theory of disease stage of history just yet Nostradamus did seem to have an understanding that cl- keeping patients and their environments clean and hygienic did tend to have a positive result on their on their health but uh that didn't stop him from also you know bleeding people as a form of treatment so we're not quite out of the woods when it comes to uh the old guard of of, of medieval medicine um but uh, all the same uh look despite the fact that he was bleeding people to treat them which is not it's never ideal when you're trying to contain an infectious disease or just more broadly keep someone alive and healthy uh but he, he is also said to uh, have have dabbled in other treatments as well he invented a treatment for the plague uh called the rose pill essentially just a vitamin tablet made from rose hip a little fruit that you find in rose plants apparently i've never heard of this before but uh I don't know how effective this tablet was, probably not very, although it would have had a fair bit of vitamin C in it. Uh, but he went around treating people with this and, and, and other bits and pieces that he'd picked up, other, other stuff that he'd learned. And uh, as a result, Nostradamus became known as a, a reasonably efficacious practitioner of the healing arts throughout the 1530s, continued to travel far and wide. Uh, at one point, he got married and settled down uh, with a woman whose who's name we're not actually 100% sure of. Um But sadly, this marriage didn't last long uh, as not only Nostradamus' new wife, but also the two kids that they had together succumbed to the plague in 1534. So it was a very short-lived marriage, tragically. He would have been no stranger to death at this stage, given his line of work, but still, it must have been very, very hard for the bloke. It must have been awful to watch this disease that he spent his life fighting to take his wife and children. Anyway, in the wake of their death, he hit the road again, traveling, uh, not just around France, but, uh, eventually further afield into Italy, through Greece, all the ways, all the way as far as Turkey, in fact. Um, and one of the reasons that this may have come about, I'm not 100% on this. It was just, it was in one of the things that I read about this bloke. Um, uh, this thing it, it indicated that his far spread travel uh, wasn't just itchy feet or wanderlust that had him going across halfway across the uh, the the you know the continent like this. Um, apparently, in 1538, he was ordered to a- uh, appear in front of the French Inquisition on charges of heresy. And um, Nostradamus's highly inventive way to beat these charges was to just flee the country. Good luck finding me, he says. It's 1538. There's no passports. There's no CCTV. I'm just going to be big chilling in Turkey until you forget about the charges. I'll see you later. And so he remained abroad for a number of years, didn't return to France until the heat had cooled down uh, in 1545. The, the Inquisition had obviously moved past or dropped these charges of heresy, and he was able to essentially pick back right up where he'd left off, tending to victims of the plague, which were still, of course, in very strong supply. Um although he did travel a lot less I will say uh in 1547 he actually settled down for good this time in Salon de Provence north of Marseille he got married for a second time and this time he had six kids with his second wife a uh, a wealthy widow whose name was Anne Ponsard um and with this change in lifestyle from traveling apothecary to settled family man so too did Nostradamus's professional life change So here comes, my friends, the good stuff. As we move now into the 1550s, Nostradamus began to move away from his professional background, from healing and medicine, and instead take a stronger interest in the occult. And this began with the Almanac that he published in 1550, the publication that first saw him Latinize his name, interestingly. It was because of this that he became known as Nostradamus rather than Michel de Nostradamus history. Now, this, uh, this 1550 almanac, had it had all the usual stuff that almanacs had in them back then. Very popular publications they were. They'd contain things like planting dates for, for crops, tide tables, weather patterns, charts on the movements of planets and the moon, and all sorts of different bits and pieces. But given, given his longstanding interest in astrology, Nostradamus' almanac also contained not only a lot of astrological information, but also horoscopes, and even a couple of astrological predictions here and there as well. And uh, perhaps because of this, I don't know exactly why, but but for whatever reason, his first almanac sold extremely well, so much so so that he decided to make another one for the next year, and then another another year after that, and so on and so forth for the next decade or so. And in time, these almanacs started to include more and more in the way of predictions. And prophecies, as well as horoscopes and all the rest of this sort of nonsense, and people just ate it up. With the success and the spread of these prophetic almanacs, Nostradamus' reputation only increased to the point that he began to be sought out for personalized horoscopes and prophecies by the rich and the famous. I don't know how he's getting away with this, given the very dim view that Christian churches tended to take of prophesying and, 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 and fortune-telling and, and stuff like that more broadly. Um, but it seems that there was a little loophole that Nostradamus uh, may have been able to exploit. Um, because apparently it wasn't the actual prophecies themselves that were the issue for, for Christian churches. It was actually how these prophecies were being made. Nostradamus, he based all of these prophecies and, and horoscopes on, as I've mentioned, astrology, right? So-called judicial astrology, examining the movements of stars and planets and whatever else and, and using them to determine what will or won't happen. Obviously nonsense. But the fact that he based all of these, all of these prophecies on astrology and not on magic, that's magic with a K, um, that was the reason that the church was okay with what he was doing. The real thing the church had an issue with was magic. Uh, so as long as Nostradamus is looking up at the stars and the planets for all, all the stuff that he's putting out, that's fine. But as soon as Eye of Newt and Toe of Frog start getting involved that 's when you need to start expecting the French Inquisition, so as the years passed Nostradamus he became rather famous for his apparent gift of prophecy and was commissioned by very many wealthy clients to provide them with personalized horoscopes now, interestingly, when it came to his professional reputation as a uh, as, as an astrologer. Other astrologers didn't take Nostradamus in his work very seriously at all. They had nothing for disdain for him. They thought he was a fraud and a charlatan. Now, obviously, it takes on to no one, I suppose. But in all honesty, Nostradamus was shunned by the other astrologers. He was regarded as incompetent and fraudulent. And you would think that this would make him fit in, if anything, rather than being excluded. But maybe it was more due to the fact that Nostradamus completely and totally sold out his work with prophecies was so popular that he began to work on a book called very inventively the prophecies uh, in which he wrote about a thousand short verses in french most of them four line rhyming quatrains and each of them supposedly predicting a future event now we're going to get into some of these soon enough don't you worry but i want to tell you about the success of that this book brought him maybe this was why all these other astrologers hated him because he was just doing so well and they just they were just getting up extra early in the morning to have more time to hate on him i don't know but look if you were if because of this book right if he was popular before this book came out it was nothing compared to afterwards um the prophecies may not have done anything to improve his popularity with his astrological colleagues and some other people similarly dismissed him as a, char- a charlatan but all the same he ended up with some A very rich and a very powerful admirers in the wake of the prophecies. Most notably of all was, in fact, none other than Catherine de' Medici, episode 272. Get across it. The Queen Consort of France as the wife of Henry II at this stage. Uh, Henry II, who famously died when he was speared through the head by a lance, something that according to an interpretation of one of his prophecies, Nostradamus may have seen coming. Uh, Henry II, on the other hand, definitely saw it coming, uh, although only very briefly, that is, before the lance entered his eye socket. Anyway, with royal patronage, Nostradamus, he was off and away, like never before. Although initially, uh, funnily enough, when he was, when he was summoned to appear in front, in front of the Queen, Nostradamus was worried he was gonna have his head cut off, because some of his prophecies, they told of threats to the Queen and her family. And so he was worried that he was going to get into trouble for putting this sort of material out there. But no. Queen Catherine instead wanted to urgently consult with Nostradamus to know what could best be done to avoid these avoid these prophesized threats. Um I guess not let your husband go jousting probably probably should have been number 1 on that list, but Nostradamus he skipped over that one and he instead he drew up personal horoscopes for her and her children and she was a great fan of uh, a great fan of this bloke all the way through for the rest of his life. Um but I feel like at this at this point I probably should mention while we're talking about him doing things like drawing up personal horoscopes for for Queen Catherine, he wasn't very good at doing this, um, and and not because his horoscopes were were rubbish and inaccurate. All horoscopes are rubbish and inaccurate. No, um, it was because he couldn't. Even get through the commonly accepted technical bits of calculating planetary movements and the positions of constellations and stuff like that. All the bog standard skills that astrologers were expected to have when approached for this sort of thing. He couldn't even do that. Kind of like if you go to the deli, right? And you ask for, uh, you, know, you know, 150 grams of ham or whatever for your, for your sandwiches, uh, for your lunch times. And if the, the deli, the deli attendant, instead of using the scale, just vibed it out. Just like, oh, about this much, handful and a half, that'll do. You're like, well, can you just use this? Nah, I don't know. Don't understand the numbers, mate. Just, I'm just going to vibe it out. I don't understand all the basic rudimentary elements of the job that I'm doing, like using numbers to calculate things. Nah, just to vibe it out. And it seems to be that, that Nostradamus was very much a vibe it out type of fortune teller rather than a crunching numbers type, right? But look, however he was doing it. Uh, he was doing it well enough to uh, to secure the continued patronage and support of one of the most powerful royal families in Europe, very, very good for his reputation working for Queen Catherine. And he did very well out of her as well, um, especially, of course, once she ruled France as Queen Regent uh, in, in the 1560s. But again, you can hear more about uh, her specifically uh, in episode 272. Anyway, the prophecies, suffice to say, was a turning point for Nostradamus's career and remains his most famous work, of course, to this very day. Uh, although not all of it has survived, uh, interestingly, um, and to make things even more complicated when it comes to his prophecies, not all of the versions that have survived are the same. There is a fair bit of difference between the various editions that have made it through to the present day. But broadly speaking, these days we have just under a thousand of these prophetic quatrain, some of them are also six lines, um, that were published as part of the different editions of the prophecies. Um, and even today, people still refer to them to point out how Nostradamus prophesied this event or that event in in world affairs. We're going to get into that properly in just a little bit, but, but for now, let's conclude the story of Nostradamus, uh, and then we'll come back to his role in the modern world. Throughout the 1550s and 1560s, Nostradamus continued to write and publish uh, the prophecies, yes, but also um, his continuing immensely successful and popular almanacs, as well as some other works on medicine, herb- herbal remedies. And he, and he became very, very wealthy indeed, not only because of his royal patronage and his publishing, and not only because of the fact that he had, you know, married into wealth with his second wife, but also he, um, he invested very wisely into some, uh, some infrastructure projects, canals, that sort of thing, and managed his money, his finance, uh, his finances, um, uh, very responsible indeed, which again, we, we're not going to give him too much credit for because apparently this bloke could see the future. So, I mean, if I could see the future as well, I'm sure I would end up very rich as well. What's he doing? But he just, you know, going down Tats Lotto every, every week, getting the powerball numbers ahead of time and making himself a fortune. Of course he's going to be rich, mate. He can see the future. Obviously he's going to die a wealthy man. But that's what he did. Put a, put a fair bit of money together, uh, by the end of his life. But unfortunately, uh, as, as, as wealthy as he was, his health started to fail him as he got older. And as we moved to the 1560s, uh, he's full of gout, poor bloke. And, uh, by the time we get to 1566, this, uh, this gout had turned into edema or, or dropsy. And of course, having the gift of prophecy as he did, in late June, Nostradamus, uh, wrote out an extensive and detailed will that divvied up his considerable fortune between his wife and his kids. And then, on the 1st of July, 1566, before going to bed, he told his secretary, quote, You will not find me alive at sunrise. And sure enough, the next morning, Nostradamus was found dead on the floor between his bed and a bench. And why am I mentioning the specific place in which his body was found? Well, because Nostradamus' secretary then went and edited one of his prophecies, pre-Sage 141 to be specific, uh, to include the bit about the bench, meaning, oh, Nostradamus, he's done it again, he's predicted his own death, just needed his secretary to, you know, iron out a few of the smaller details, but he's done it again, how does he do it? I'll tell you what, if I were full of gout and edema, and if I were feeling like the end was coming... I'd be going around saying to everyone every day, oh, I'm going to be dead by morning, because sooner or later, I'd be right. Buddy Riley Darmus over here, check me out, predicting my own death. Anyway. Nostradamus, after his death, he was buried in a nearby chapel, although his remains were moved in later years to the uh, Collegial Saint Laurent, where his tomb can be found to this very day. And it is not, of course, just his tomb that has survived. His legacy As a prophet, someone who could apparently see the future, has also very much stuck around. And more or less every time a major world event takes place, people will dig through the thousand or so prophecies he made. They will pull one out and they'll say, look at this See, Nostradamus knew it was coming. So... With that in mind, we are going to play a little game here, you and I. I have selected six of his prophecies that are said to have predicted a major historical event, probably ones that you've heard of, and uh, I'm going to read you the prophecy. I'm going to give you the chance to pause the podcast and guess what the event was And then I'll reveal the event, and you can see if you got it right. Now, to make things a bit easier, uh, I will arrange these events in chronological order. And most of them are going to be quite recent, so you you should have heard of them, although some happened a fair few centuries ago. But anyway, look, you ready? Let's get into it here. All right, here's prophecy number one. The blood of the just will commit a fault at London, burnt through lightning of 23's the six. The ancient lady will fall from her high place, several of the same sect will be killed. So this gives you a bit of a sense of what most of the prophecies are. Largely nonsense. They're better in French because they rhyme, but once translated, they do just seem like a whole bunch of word salad. But with that in mind, right, keep that in mind, the fact that they are very imprecise, very vague. With that in mind, let's talk about this one specifically, right? What do we got? We've got something happening in London. We've got 20 to- 23 is the six. So London... 20 times 3 is 60, plus 6, 66. What happened in London in 66? 1666, the Great Fire of London, 2nd of September, 1666. How spooky is that? Except the fire didn't start because of lightning. Uh, It started when a spark from a baker's oven landed on on a a pile of nearby firewood. I guess a spark, maybe? Is that a very small bolt of lightning we're giving him that? But I don't know. Look. No idea what the ancient lady is talking about. Um, although, initially, when it comes to the Great Fire, Catholics were blamed and lynched for the fire initially. So, I guess that's the several of the same sect will be killed bit. So, I don't know. Prophecy number one. Bit of a shaky start there, Nostradamus, mate. But look, let's get into some others. We'll see if things improved. Here is number two. <clears throat> From the enslaved populace, songs, chants, and demands, while princes and lords are held captive in prisons... These will, in the future, by headless idiots, be received as divine prayers. Now we've got a couple of big clues in here. We've got in that we've got enslaved populace. We've got princes and lords that are being held captive in prisons, and we've got headless idiots. Can you guess what this one is referring to? It is, of course, supposed to be about the french revolution we've got the enslaved populace the third estate the peasants uh they seized paris they locked up all the princes and lords and then they wheeled out the guillotine mate turning their prisoners into i suppose headless idiots this is better stuff from from nostradamus it is still a bit vague sure but look he's closer to the mark for this one for sure which is you know nice very better work from him there Let's go with another one here. We're moving into the 20th century now. So uh, bit a bit of a hint for you with the, uh, with the ones coming. It's all, all a bit more recent now. <clears throat> Prophecy number three. From the very depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. So let's have a think about that. He who by his tongue will seduce a great troop. Can we think of any gifted orators from the 20th century who emerged from the, well, honestly, I I don't know if the Austrian border is the depths of West Europe, to be honest, and he definitely wasn't born of poor people either. His family was firmly middle class. But there is certainly no doubt in the great troop, and he certainly became famous in the East, in Russia, in Japan, and Honestly, across the entire world. This is one of the most famous figures from the 20th century. This prophecy is, of course, said to be about Adolf Hitler. And uh, look, if you don't find this one to be convincing enough for you, don't worry. Nostradamus had a spare. (coughs) Beasts ferocious from hunger will swim across rivers. The greater part of the region will be against the Hister. The great one will cause it to be dragged in an iron cage when the German child will observe nothing. Now, people are very ready to assume that Hister, H-I-S-T-E-R, is a 16th century typo and that obviously he meant to write Hitler, but just I don't know what hit his keyboard wrong, even if he did, the S and the L are miles away from each other. But no, the Hister is actually the Latin word for the Danube River, but I do suppose you could call the Nazi armies ferocious beasts, that's for sure. But the cage of iron? Less certain on that, bit meaningless here. Is the cage of iron the bunker in which Hitler shot himself? And and also who's the child of Germany? No idea. In any case, um even if, look, let's let's say that these prophecies are prophecies are about Hitler. Let's say that that Nostradamus did foresee the rise of Hitler and the Third Reich. Couldn't he have given us just a few more details, maybe some instructions even? Something like, oh, hey, make sure the Treaty of Versailles doesn't bone Germany quite as hard. Or uh, or Neville Chamberlain, yes, you, mate, uh, stop giving Hitler what's he- what he wants. It's not going to work. Um, or even, I don't know, why didn't Nostradamus just say, um, hey, everyone, someone is going to set fire to the German Reichstag on the 27th of February 1933? Make sure you stop that from happening. This is very important. If he could foresee this happening, why is it all wrapped up in riddles, mate? Just tell us what's going to happen so we can do something about it. Bloody hell. Anyway, on we go. On we go with these prophecies. See if you can get this one. This is number four. Near the gates and within two cities, there will be two scourges, the like of which was never seen. Famine within plague. People put out by steel, crying to the great immortal God for relief. All right, let's get into this one. Two cities suffering a scourge, the like of which was never seen. Well, that could only be one thing, couldn't it? The United States releasing nuclear hellfire on the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki to end the Second World War. This clearly foretells the first atomic bombs that were dropped in wartime. Although people in those cities weren't so much put out by steel as they were by, you know, Uranium and plutonium. But look, we'll, we'll cut Nostradamus some slack on that front. He's a long way away from Marie Curie and J. Robert Oppenheimer. Episodes 142 and 265 get across him. He can't be expected to know all of this technical terminology about elements that haven't, be, haven't even been discovered. But the rest, ugh, I don't know, man. I feel like it's kind of free to include things like famines and plagues and crying to God for relief when, when you're prophesying about scourges, the like of which was never seen it, it, you know famines and plagues and cried goes it seems like a natural consequence of, consequence of scourges like that, so i don't know how much credit he's getting for that anyway, apparently saw the atom bomb coming, so quite incredible again, bitter specificity would have been useful, Nostradamus old son, but okay, never mind let's go on, let's move on now to uh to uh to to prophecy number five here. <clears throat> the great man will be struck down in the day by a thunderbolt. An evil deed foretold by the bearer of a petition. According to the prediction, another falls at night time. Conflict at Rheims, London, and pestilence in Tuscany. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, this one is super, super weak. Um, Really clutching at straws, the old Nostradamus stands here. Um, Especially as Nostradamus presumably would have known the difference between a Thunderbolt and a, you know bullet from a gun but uh, yes look a great man was shot dead during the day um, and then another one was shot dead at night time U.S. President John F. Kennedy shot just afternoon on the 22nd of November 1963 while his brother Robert Kennedy was shot just after midnight on the 5th of June 1968. So sure we've got two blokes dying at different times of the day but nothing special was going on in London or in Rheims, and there certainly hasn't been a pestilence in St. Tuscany for a while. So this one isn't very convincing. Let's do one more here. One, one more. Let's let's see if you can get this final one. Here we go. <clears throat> Earth-shaking fire from the center of the Earth will cause tremors around the new city. Two great rocks will war for a long time. Then Arethusa. Will redden a new river, so new city, two great rocks, earth shaking fire, war for a long time. I don't know if Islamic extremism can be described as being from the center of the earth, and I'm not sure that i'm not sure what Arethusa, a nymph from from Greek mythology, has to do with it, but This prophecy is said to refer to the World Trade Center terrorist attacks on the 11th of September, 2001. But again, if Nostradamus knew this was coming, could he not have been a little bit more specific with warning us about it? Instead of all the nonsense about Earth shaking fire from the center of the Earth and Arathusa reddening a new river, how about the names of the bastards? What did it, mate? With a verse about popping them on the old no-fly list. Now look, you, you, you'd obviously never guess this based on, um, how I've been talking about these prophecies, but actually I'm rather skeptical of any kind of fortune t- telling or div- divination or honestly anything remotely metaphysical. And this is what really, really annoys me about all of this stuff is that if this bloke did know what was coming, if he really could predict all of these things, why is it that all that we got is this vague open-ended nonsense and not, instead, actionable advice. Today, when a major world event takes place, supporters of the legitimacy of Nostradamus's prophecies They are very quick to find verses like these and give us the old I told you so. But he didn't tell us so. He didn't tell us anything. It's not like we can scour the prophecies ahead of time and say, oh, clearly, look at this one. Ticketmaster's digital infrastructure isn't cut out to support the upcoming Taylor Swift's Errors Tour. We must act now to avert disaster. And this is the biggest issue with all of these prophecies. They are all so vague. They're all so open-ended. And, of course, there are so bloody many of them that I feel like it would be hard not to find one that can apply to a specific event in some way. Because if we're going to give him the JFK and RFK thing, because it mentions one man dying during the day and another and another at night, I'm sure we can flick through them and find one that covers the fact that I forgot to pick up toilet paper after last week's supermarket shop. And if that's the case, Nostradamus, why didn't you bloody warn me, mate? Because... I was like, I'll tell you this, I was lucky that there were some tissues nearby on hand at the time because what was I going to do otherwise? How how was I going to deal with this situation? What was I going to do? Try to coax the cat into the bathroom? Nostradamus, mate, give me some actionable advice. Give me some, give me some proper warnings, not this cryptic nonsense that you filled the prophecies with. Come on. Anyway, the prophecies themselves, right? The actual, the actual verses, um, they're filled with, Biblical references, allusions to classical history. Some prophecies were even pinched wholesale from horoscopes made by his rival astrologers at the time. Um, on top of this, he even took old prophecies that had been around for ages, gave them a fresh lick of paint, and just whacked them in his book as well for, for good measure. And in addition to the fact that these prophecies are all very vague, deliberately so it seems, um, a lot of them just refer to stuff that's very likely to happen. Disasters and catastrophes, plagues, fires, earthquakes, wars—it's not hard to predict this sort of stuff. It happens all the time, and it's only ever after something happens that all of the Nostradamus dyads come out of the woodwork and say, "Oh, look, he knew all along." They're never telling us before it happens. I do want to mention one more thing, um, however, because I, I have gone on at length about how vague all these prophecies are, right? And that's broadly speaking true for, for the overwhelming majority of them. But there, are, I will—I will say, in fairness, there are some prophecies. That are much more much more specific. There are, in fact, some prophecies that make reference not even just to a specific year, but actually to a specific month. But these don't strengthen the case that these prophecies are valid or legitimate because the prophecies that make reference to a specific time in history are still just nonsense, right? Here's one. Have a listen to this one. Here is a prophecy that that talks about again specifically. July 1999. Have a listen to it see if you can make anything of it. <clears throat> the year 1999, seventh month. From the sky will come a great king of terror to bring back to life the great king of the Mongols before and after Mars to reign by good luck. So what is that about? Who... Who is the King of Terror that came in July 1999? Is it Lou Bega? Was he the King of Terror who released the smash hit Mumbo No. 5 in July 1999? I don't remember him reanimating Genghis Khan at any point. Did I miss that? I'm not having this, mate. I'm not having it. Nostradamus, He. I'll give him credit where credit is due. He may have been a half-decent apothecary, but as far as I'm concerned, by the end of his life, he was just a bad poet with too much time on his hands. Out of interest, I did. Uh, I did have a look to see what people are saying. Nostradamus has predicted for next year, twenty twenty-four. Um, and uh, look, you could do a bit of Nostradamus work yourself here and predict what those news articles all look like. It is a bunch of news rags cherry-picking selected bits of prophecies to suit their purpose. For instance, the climate crisis will intensify. Didn't need Nostradamus for that one, but he did write. He some- he wrote something about it. Apparently, <clears throat> the dry earth will grow more parched. He predicts, as well as saying there will be great floods when it is seen. Sure, mate. Okay, but what about the first two lines of that prophecy, which read, "For forty years the rainbow will not be seen. For forty years it will be seen every day." Now, I like that. That's something workable. If we ever have forty years of rainbows, we will know about the fact that. What was it? The dry earth will grow more parched. What? After 40 years of rainbows? I don't think so, mate. This is nonsense. What are some others? Oh, yes. um, uh, King Charles III, he's on his way out. The king of the Isles will be driven out by force. That's exciting. In his place, put one who will have no mark of a king. Who's that? Prince Harry? Maybe we're going to see a British Republic. All right. That's exciting. Look forward to that. Um, of course, we've got ever-present war with China, combat a naval battle, red adversary will become pale with fear, the usual nonsense. Uh, but also, interestingly, we've got the Pope dying. Through the death of the very old pontiff, a Roman of good age will be elected. So these are the things to look forward to next year, I suppose, along with all of the usual standbys for the tin the, for the tinfoil hat brigade. We've got what have we got. We've got the Third World War we've got a new world order, we've got aliens arriving, and most outlandish and unlikely of all, cryptocurrencies finally actually catching on properly. But look, I'll tell you what, I am being a bit heavy-handed in my criticism of all of this this prophetical mumbo-jumbo, all this nonsense that's being put forward from Nostradamus. So I'll say this, we'll check back in a year, and if we've got King Henry IX on the British throne, if we've got a new pope, a young Italian fella, and you know what? I'll give it to him with 40 days of rainbows, not even 40 years, 40 days of rainbows. If we've got all that by the end of 2024, I might change my tune and I might revisit my sceptical ways. But until then, it's all just hindsight bias. Bugger this bloke, bugger his prophecies and the cherry-picking news reports that perpetuate the idea that this guy was onto something at any point ever. Unless, that is, unless we really get stuck in, have a proper dig through all thousand or so of these prophecies and we find one that talks about a tin pot history podcast making its host a billion dollars. In that case, mate, I am back on board. But that's it that's all she wrote today sports fans that is the story of nostradamus and his prophecies and i don't know but maybe maybe i should apologize for being so heavy-handed with my criticism of this guy and and, and the stuff that he, he put out there i know there's a you know a huge diversity of beliefs when it comes to to divination and fortune telling and predicting and maybe i should be a bit more respectful of that after all there is i mean there's some evidence that we we can predict the future right there's the i don't know who these geniuses are that that so accurately predict the day that my milk's going to go off, but they always seem to get that right. So, I don't know. Maybe there is something to it. Anyway... Not that I listen to them. That's fine. It, it'll probably be fine. I haven't got sick yet. Anyway, um, I want to thank you for listening to this uh, this episode of my Tinted Pod History podcast. And I do hope you've enjoyed this episode. I do feel like, like it had a uh, a decent contingent of silliness for you to enjoy, which is something that the podcast, I know, has been lacking in recent times. I am always on the lookout for uh, for silly or, or, or amusing or farcical stories from history. And I'd love to hear from you if you've got one uh use the contact form there that's the best the uh, best place to get in touch with me uh if you want to uh you want to make sure that i see your email uh, and i'd like to thank all the people who've got in touch uh some very kind feedback uh about the episode last week about Johann sebastian bach it was nice to have all the all the musical nerds come out of the woodwork and, and tell me they enjoyed the show so thank you very much um As ever, if you want to support the show, the best place to do that is on Patreon, patreon.com slash half assed history. You can sign up there and get access to ad-free listening, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, early access to episodes, exclusive show merch. And, uh, more readily available merch, of course, via T-Public. Follow the link on the, uh, on the, the website, halfasisreve.net, and you'll find all the stuff over there available for purchase. I am looking for new opportunities for merchandising. Uh, I know, particularly for the audience in Australia, the, um, the postage fees are very, it's extremely punishing. So I'm looking for new options, uh, and, uh, to get the, get, get merch, make merch a little bit more available to people over in this side of the world. All the Kiwis as well, I imagine, probably having the same problem. So sorry about that. It's, uh, it's definitely on my list. But uh thank you to all the people supporting the show financially but a special thank you goes to all the people supporting the show by word of mouth. Um I I am in conversations at the moment with uh, with various people about uh some ways to develop and grow the show further plans into next year Talk to, talking about stuff like you know the book other some other stuff other pots that are on the boil. Um every single conversation I've had with these people about the show have they've all been blown away by the fact That I have never promoted or advertised this podcast anywhere, right? I've never paid for advertising space, never done anything like that. It is just because of listeners like you who are out there telling their friends, telling their enemies, telling people about whom they feel largely ambivalent that we have built such an enormous community. And I'm so grateful for that. It's incredible to have such a uh, a rusted on dedicated fan base that are here just because they want to be, not because they click through a Facebook ad or something like that. So, Thank you very much for listening to my silly history podcast week in and week out. Um, and uh, again, please get in touch if you've got a topic suggestion you'd like to hear on the show, uh, or some feedback, um, any anything at all. Love getting emails from people. I know I'm not able to reply to all of them, unfortunately, uh, but uh, it is great to hear from people all the same. Anyway, going to close out the show here. And well, look, you know, it, it is a normal question from Reddit, but it, it at the at the end of almost an hour of talking about this bloke and sort of, you know generally expressing my disdain for for prophecy and fortune telling all over the place. This question is really starting to make me rethink things here, because it really does cast the whole sceptic movement in a new light when it comes to to predict, predicting the future. It comes to it comes to us from Redditor Shush Shush Shushbo? Shushbo, alright. <clears throat> Who asks If humans can't predict the future How can they make calendars that always have the dates right?
0: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long.